Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hello. Duncan. Hey there. Pull it together, Duncan. And Jeff. <laughs> Yellow. John is on assignment. Well, uh, it's been a while, a few in-betweens, but we've got some conversations about shows that are airing and have aired, and then we will be covering our spotlight theme and trope subject, which is creepy loner girls or mojo. So to start with, the internet is abuzz about Carol and Tuesday because the first 12 episodes dropped on Netflix and Duncan and I are here to to rain on that stupid twee effortless parade. No, it's, I'm not going to be that mean. I'm going to be mean, though. <laughs> just not just not in terms of language. Are you all are just uh, mad because you're wrong about it, apparently? Yeah. Are you, are you going to set them straight? It's not what it is. I mean, OK, so first things first. I have no issue with anyone who likes Carol and Tuesday. Like, I don't think that they are dumb or bad or wrong or canceled. I understand that we live in a trying time, especially in the Anglophone sphere and a crisis free, twee, sweet, soft anime about two girls just just kicking ass in the music industry and never experiencing any sort of hardship, setback, or challenge might be your mood. That said, <laughs> I cannot stand this anime, and every time I watch an episode, I end it angry and frustrated in a way that 10 years ago would have led me to like start writing or creating my own fiction. But now that I am old and tired and have a PhD, I just complain about it on podcasts. So... <laughs> So, Duncan, how is your relationship to Carol and Tuesday going? Uh, well, you're gonna break up, get married, see other people, open up the marriage. It's not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what happens when you you get something interesting and you polish it and you polish it and you polish it and all that's left is this incredibly shiny nothingness. And uh, as, as you say, I can't fault anyone who just in, enjoys it as a light bit of wish fulfillment, but it's just so utterly lacking in adventure or stakes. I mean, it the, the Rock Biog is has been done better so many times. Not like, <laughs> n not even just in the past when we we can go back to within anime. You've got things like um, Nana. Uh, Nana, I was going to say, Nana's the, like, almost like for like, beat for beat yeah. in, in, in some parts, which is incredible. But um, even just in what Watanabe's what own own thing, like, <laughs> just, like, Kids on the Slope's just better than this. There's, there's real conflict and interpersonal strife and characters who seem to express, like, can... can can you? I I I, I <laughs> honestly can't think of any feelings Carol and Tuesday really have, which are like, what do they want apart? From, well, this is oh god, this is they want they want is, to they want to make the best song ever. It's I was it's literally say, is, just like yeah, this is me asking Andy what Andy what does what do the shonen protagonists want to do? And Andy going they want to be shonen protagonists and oh, strongest is, strongest fighter ever. Come on. <laughs> Best Isn't that a normal thing that people always want? Is just to be the best thing in the world, 
with no like rubric. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they want to be the most authentic thing ever. It's, it's not even like they they want to be the best. They just it's real music. Well, ben. well, that's that's one of the, the issues um, that that I have, and I'll go ahead and we'll run back to just a brief run over of the first season, and then cover the first uh, core, and then cover the second core episode by episode because I think that's where the show has really begun to break down for me. So. I do think it's it is frustrating because until episode 16, there had been no real movement between when the characters met and got their first viral hit on Instagram, which is still around, along with South by Southwest and Pitchfork and every other cultural standby of Western pop music um, in the late 20th century. Oh, yeah. I, f- I, f- I forgot they were they were doing the, the whole brand placement thing. I mean, I would like it in other in other context but here it just seems like they can't actually build their own worlds they just like posit a future where a hundred years from now everything that makes musicians like famous and popular is still around but the fact is like until they charted with their first single as indie artists in episode 16 they charted at 53 which is a great debut but of course they're not happy with it because angela a pop star with the with most of the planets like venture capital money and like a massive uh apparatus uh, reach number one. It's like, oh, we still got stuff to do. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're indie stars. That's just, they, there was no movement. Even when they went all the way through the Mars Brightest talent show, which they just signed up for and got on and then went all the way to the top as people who've been playing music for a couple months, uh, you know, 16 and 17 year olds playing music for a couple months that, um, that even winning that they won it. Well, they won it and then they got disqualified and then they got a contract anyway, and then they turned down the contract. So they're literally at exactly the place that they, that they were when they started, uh, Mars brightest, uh, back in episode seven. Yeah. When we've talked about this before, I think one of the things which has come up repeatedly is that their supposed antagonist, uh, Angela is actually far more compelling a, a person than them. Yes, and absolutely. Like, I I maintain the secret hope that we're going to get a late pivot to this being about her all along. But if it is, why can't we just have more of her on screen time rather than these two um, plugging away on their acoustic guitars? The loneliest girls. Yeah. God. You mean an army of two? Oh, God. <laughs> That's so, 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 so generic sounding things they're just so much of a much them well see i think that a lot of it is just that like uh, shinichiro watanabe i'm gonna have to say make sure to say shinichiro watanabe because one of the things i'll be talking about for the the spotlight theme is shinichi watanabe who's a completely different director uh and i bet he probably hates that or while he was still making stuff he hated that but i think shinichiro watanabe just wanted to make an anime that had a bunch of real life artists and so he got these real life artists together and i think a lot of the plot follows the dictates of just having all these artists with all these songs and having to introduce people and then shuffle them off so the next person can be introduced with a different song by a different artist and as a way of just raising the profile of often some fairly niche and extremely talented artists i know you will probably disagree to some extent i think it's fine but it just it makes for it makes for this this where it's just nothing a lot of stuff happens and nothing happens it's it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing because because tuesday runs away from her mom who is uh teresa trump teresa may trump on mars uh and uh she meets an orphan girl from from earth 
Carol, and they make an Instagram hit when they just randomly decide to like play some music. Their first music that they ever play together goes viral because it's so good. And then they get a manager who's like a washed up alcoholic and they go through a couple of wacky things to try to get to try to get noticed before they go on a on a talent show, which, as I said, doesn't actually end up in anything, because even though Carol, uh, even though Tuesday's hand gets burned by a jealous stalker, they're still still able to play and advance in the rounds. And then they're late because Tuesday gets kidnapped by by her mom, by Mars Trump mom. And <sighs> They still win, and then they turn down the contract, and they go indie, and then they chart anyway, but it's not enough. And meanwhile, like, like, meanwhile, there's just a revolving door of characters, and this has gotten really bad, I feel like, after episode 12 and the second core, um, because episode 13 uh, is where they try to find this, this secretive producer, Kobe, where they go to he's he's reclusive so they go to like the fucking slums and gus is like just play his mute play music and he'll come out and so at the end of the episode like this wild-eyed guy with with a wild beard and hair is like slamming an axe in the wall being like shut up this sucks and then the very next episode the beginning he's like yeah you're pretty good i'll take you under your wings like oh hey <laughs> false false conflict and then he just we haven't seen him since since episode 14 where he produces the song uh, and then they go to the laundromat and the guy who's been hanging around the laundromat is secretly Carol's dad who was in jail and he's going back to jail again. I didn't completely yeah, follow that. that. Did you, so, Duncan? Like, like, had he just like found out that found out who she was on Mars Brightest come out to just tell her that she wasn't unloved and then yeah. went back to jail? Because he's literally just like, he's like, I'm your dad. I'm here. Now I've got to go back to jail. And it's just like, show, you can, you can have characters stick around who aren't just Gus, Roddy, Carol, and Tuesday, and Angela, and uh, Angela's mom, Dahlia, and I guess Tao, the weird robot AI producer guy. Uh, and then, like episode uh, episode fifteen, they just get invited to see Desmond, this reclusive, reclusive eccentric pop star who's dying, sing a song, and he sings a song, and he dies. Um, and then they, uh, and then they, he, he literally. Di- I mean, I've complained about this on the channel. Like he literally <clears throat> sings a song, and the very last note, he like falls back in the chair, and Gus like runs up and like touches his neck. He's like, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he he didn't take his meds because they would have stopped him singing. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked before. Reduced the quality of his amazing vocal cords. When we talked before about how, like, you were you were really upset by that Duncan, and when yeah. you when you brought up the comparison to David Bowie and and Black Star, yeah, because like, you can't if you've been like even the Vegas awareness of pop culture in like the past like f- forty years or so, like you can't be unaware of who Bowie is. This, and so if you you make this hundred androgyne um character who's like this slightly reclusive and has like this uh is considered like a legend almost like one of a kind within the industry and yeah which you you did like how 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 gus was like no pictures don't ask him about this or that and then like the moment they get there roddy's like can i have a picture with you and he's like yeah sure it's it's... (laughs) like those bits were nice like that that someone on that team gets the idea that even like people who are in the industry at a low level 
there's still like there are people who are through their work become to 90% of the people who meet them something beyond that and that must be a very strange life for them mm-hmm. and I thought they got across some of that which was nice but equally they just after that they just went and just made him into this like weird almost uh, uh, not angelic but like Christ-like. Saintly, saintly, yeah. yes. Christ-like, saintly. He just like I'm. I've I've been lonely so long, and now you're here. Finally, someone who will appreciate my last song. Robot, don't give me my medicine. I must sing. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask? Is, is it is it a visual representation semblance as well, or is it just um, like he's he's reclining in this chair because he can't like he's too weak to sit up, and so he's got this like this basically like like a. Folding deck chair, like hover thing that he just like floats around on, um, and so he is like reclined, like almost like at a viewing for a funeral. So there is lots of death energy floating around him. Death yeah. imagery, also death energy. Uh, but death flags, I think. I think there's a proper yeah, like, like, you, like you could like you could tell this person's marked for death, but that doesn't mean anything because everybody on Carol and Tuesday shows up for one episode, has an interaction with Carol and Tuesday, and leaves. Like I'll talk. The next episode, which I don't think Duncan has seen yet, episode 16, also has someone just show up and have a thing and then be inspired by Carol on Tuesday and leave. It's, so. it's like a lot of the artists they introduce are obviously analogies for um, someone in contemporary music. So there's a sort of um, maybe Madonna slash Christina Aguilera diva um, synth pop lady on if you couple back maybe even you'd say nowadays that would be um, Lady Gaga Gaga yeah maybe Gaga these days would well, be uh, you could also be Gwen Stefani <laughs> let's just name artists that yeah. that every that uh, Shichiro Watanabe could be ripping off <laughs> so so the so speaking of lady pop stars um, they they find out that their first single has made it to number 53 of the charts. Guts is like, this is bullshit. I've got you a gig at South by Southwest. Which is, so, sidebar about Gus. Because we had <clears throat> speculations about Gus beforehand where Duncan thought, and I think would have been a great idea, thought that he'd, like, kicked the bottle to, like, be uh. the manager of these girls. That's not because it's much more funny to have him just drink and, and be kind of just... A shithead uh, in that way. But he also, like, the only time we've seen him work was when he went to see his old friend Hifner and insulted him and got thrown out and then got them a gig at the Cydonia Festival, which is a big music festival anyway. And that's the only time we've seen Gus work. So when he walks on, he's just like, hey, got your gig at South by Southwest. And it's like, how? You don't have any con- contacts. You're, you, you are repeatedly depicted as a washed-up alcoholic. The show doesn't care how things happen, is, is the issue repeatedly. It just, mm. like, things just happen for Carol and Tuesday. Because I forgot to say, when they heard about, about South by Southwest, like, oh, well, we'll probably need a full band for that. We'll need a bassist and a drummer and a guitarist. And then they turn the corner and just sitting there is, like, a street band of a bassist, guitarist, and drummer. And they're like, hey, you guys want to work for us? And they're like, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a pretty well-timed joke, to be honest. (laughs) It's not a joke, though, (laughs) because they actually do work for it. And then then Gus is like, I don't know. These are people you randomly heard on the street. And like, we'll give them a chance. He's like, okay. And they play, and he's like, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. Okay, they're your band. Um, So Again, sounds like like a joke. Sounds like a pretty well-constructed joke. 
Oh, is it not? What's well constructed about it? It's just, it's just like, oh man, isn't this so convenient? After fifteen episodes of, oh man, isn't this so convenient? Yeah, it was like, I mean, like the the bit which probably turned me against it the strong strongly was early on at the the, ve- the festival you mentioned where mm-hmm. they get booed off stage and I'm like, wow, finally, finally they've got a setback. Finally, like some like a little bit of hardship for these aspiring musicians. Like they're having to struggle and get past crowds, which aren't treating them well. And that they go backstage and that they're immediately told they were wonderful by like one of the most quote unquote famous people in the world. And it's like, uh, can't you let them just like have a little, little doubt and not be these like perfect people who have no, no doubt that they're going to make it and just live for the music in a happy, happy world. The well, the well on this, on this phrase has been irrevocably poisoned, but they are Mary Sue's. Mm. They have no faults. They always succeed. Any, any problem is solved. Like Tuesday gets kidnapped by her mom, who's one of the most prominent and powerful politicians on earth. And then halfway through the episode, she just walks out of her house. She's on house arrest, but like she notices that like she can she can like climb out the window, and so she just climbs out the window and walks off their massive estate with a with a locked gate and everything. And they they they're coming to rescue her, and then Tusi just walks out, and she's like, "Oh, hey, I escaped." And they're like, "Oh, cool. Well, we'll leave then." And that's like <laughs> it's like they're afraid that if anything bad happens to the to Carol or Tuesday, we won't we won't be treating them as protagonists anymore, which. It's fair because the reason that I am sympathetic to Angela, I think that the dichotomy between like Carol and Tuesday's real pop that's just comes from the heart and it's it's about real experiences versus like Angela's overproduced AI written pop um, that she still is great at because someone was like, oh, she puts her heart into these songs, even, even if they aren't her songs, um, which is how performance works as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Um, but this dichotomy <laughs> is bullshit. It's turning people who should be friends against each other because they have to be enemies until they finally reconcile in the final arc of the show. But Angela's had to suffer because she had to deal with like all like this really rough training regimen and publicity regimen. And she has to deal with the fact that she's got a lot of tension with her, with her manager and she doesn't like a lot of her assistants and she generally doesn't feel that she's being able to express herself as creatively as she wants. This is the person whose story I want to hear. I don't want to hear about the girls who get everything handed to them. I don't, I'm not interested in that story. And the fact that the only conflict appears to be this really, I find really tin-eared Mars nativist thing that's going on. We're like, oh, we don't want Earth. Earth just sends us our trash. And it's just like, I don't know if I want to hear this kind of faux criticism of, of, of right-wing politics where like Tuesday's mom, who is running for Mars president on a platform of like, kick out all the refugees and don't take any more is, is clearly just doing it for political opportunism. So no one is actually racist. Uh, like Carol and Tuesday can walk into a, a slum that's full of, of black people with lots of like gangster and poverty coding to their design, like face tattoos and, and weird buzz cuts and like wearing like basketball jerseys and stuff. Uh, and they can be fine. Cause like the other, like the races don't actually hate each other. Racism's dead. It's just being, it's just being font fostered by these politicians. And I find it, I find it as like lazy and twee as the rest of the show. And so it just like on every level, I, f- I find myself underwhelmed and frustrated mm-hmm. by the show. I can't I, say it enough. 
Well, last last season we hated magical Brexit. Now it's space Brexit. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's trying to make him. Um, I don't know because I haven't seen the fucking show. But maybe he's trying to make a message saying like, you know, even if racism's gone, which is great, like we're still going to find another thing to fight about. We're still going to find another thing to argue about. And at the end of the day, it's all politicians who are doing yeah, it. But- if Maybe. It's not only politicians show. who are doing it. People people do racism is my issue. It's not just a political aesthetic. It is an actual problem in our world. It's an actual problem in fucking Japan. So it's yeah. really weird to imagine this racism, this like racism-free Mars where, where black people and white people mix and like no one ever talks about anyone's racial background. But the slum is still full of black people who are scary to Tuesday, the liliest white lily girl ever made. So I don't, uh, meh. Mm. And I want to like I'm, it. I'm really curious ex- what you're going to say about the show if you're not going to be mean to it. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I would probably call, I would probably call it lazy and stupid, which I think it is. I think that this is a remarkable example of laziness from Shichiro Watanabe, who's never been a great planner of like big, sprawling arcs he's always worked as like in terms of episode episodes like his two greatest things cowboy bebop and samurai shampoo both work episode by episode and there's very little like overarching continuity besides developing relationships between the main characters um and i think here he's just misjudged himself and he wants to have this big this big sweeping rise to fame of these two characters and i think he lacks the plotting to pull it off and instead, it's just one-off episodes where everything's always tied up by the end, and it means that they experience no sustained challenges or setbacks or frustrations. Everything's always solved at the end of the episode, always, without fail, always solved. So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, have to, <laughs> I'll have to watch, like, eight more episodes, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're on 16. I think we go to 24. I'd have to double-check, but... Um, you, you, you could just stop, Ben. You could just stop watching it. This this joke is already dead. Uh, (laughs) Andy, I will I will stop if you admit that non non Biori is is boring pap for babies. Oh, never, never. (laughs) Well, there we go. Maybe if you are a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of boring pap for babies, but not really. How about Hattori Bochi? (laughs) Oh man. Well, actually, you know what? Because I watched Hattori Bochi, I then started to watch. Um, non non biori afterwards. Uh, again. That's what the, you have to say about Terry Bochy. <laughs> well, it's just did, the, did it make you? Did it make you just want like some pure stuff? It's like someone served you a weak beer, and you're like, no, man, I want I want the real heavy stuff. And so you went to non non biori. It's like I don't. Well, okay, so I mean, talking about non non biori real quick. Like you guys give me a lot of shit and a lot of my friends give me a lot of shit for loving this show like unapologetically and then I was just like I I, I just finished Hitori Bocci I didn't really want to get back into the third season of Overlord which I am and it's good but hmm, we'll see um, and so I was like I was like okay well I'll, I'll watch I'll, I'll just watch Non Non Biori again because there's a third season coming out there's a movie that I need to watch like I'll just see if if I'm if I if my feelings are right and like I haven't just become like a weird like brainwashed miasma when because of this show and that everybody else is like I I just don't see what everybody else is seeing and you know what I've watched like six episodes of season one and I fucking love it all I, <laughs> I absolutely love that show and it's it's one of those things in which I think 
more more than anything, it's that feeling of childhood, like that that cap that encapsulation of childhood. That like, I mean, sure, <laughs> I'm not a child in Japan, but I have been a child, and there's some stuff in that, especially in Renchon, where I'm like, yeah, I can, I remember doing stuff exactly like that. Um, and then you just got like that feeling of the countryside, the feeling of summer. It's like this nostalgia wave that just hits me like a like a tidal wave of like calming. And I just fucking love it. I just I can't not love that show. I think it's amazing. Um, and I I think that there's so many things that delve into why that's great, even down to just like the weird camera angles and directorial shots where it's like. You know, we're not going to have you like straight in with the action with the face. It's going to be like a wide pan, far away shot where it's like the mum and the daughter talking to each other around a katatsu table. And they and, you know, you see the side doors. So you clearly shot in a different room and, you know, you then see them animate. And it's just like you and sure, it does then cut to like their faces for the reactions for the gags. But it's the fact that they've done this pulled away shot that makes you appreciate the visuals and the art design and everything else that i, I just fucking so do love you th- with that sort of shot do you think they're trying to give a sense of um sort of embodiment to the, the viewer like like it's you looking into that room or is it is it I, like trying to make it feel like you're just sit, sitting around the, the table with them or is it trying to just make it feel just informal I don't know, yeah, I mean, I think there is maybe, like, a slight voyeurism into it. Also, that slight feeling of, like, because they are so small on a, on a shot that's so big and in the scene she's being told off, it's sort of like that feeling of you feeling small when you're told off by your mother. And I hmm. think that, that it also is trying to impact on that. And then on top of that, oh, I just think that that the the like the amount of effort and work and love that they've put into the background art and and sort of like some of the visual shots of them in the countryside is is just fucking gorgeous and i've i'm pretty sure i said this when we first talked about non non beauty um but i joke the art in it is a is an absolute beautiful thing to behold and it still and it maintains throughout even if it is just kids doing cute things like I just, I don't know. I just think it's great. But anyway, you're totally botchy. Well, I was, I was going to just real quick to cut in. Like, I do I do understand the appeal of, like, I think Satoyama is the term for, like, like hometown rural feeling. It's I learned it when I was reading about, like, My Neighbor Totoro and stuff, of having this, right, like, return right. to the countryside. Wolf Children's got a lot of that, too. But, yeah. Um, yeah. That was my but, but I do like the idea of this, like, this, like, eternal dream time of childhood where, like, everything, like, nothing really changes and it feels like everything lasts forever. Um, I just, I, I like Nanonbiori. I just don't find it spectacular, but I think it's just not my, not my genre. Although it is a genre where I am much more open to nothing happening as opposed to... Uh, <laughs> Carol and Tuesday. <laughs> Which can I say? Can I say really quick? I didn't finish that. Like the latest episode, the latest episode I watched, episode sixteen, involves them finding Gus's first person that he represented as a manager, who's now like burnt out on drugs and depression, and they decide to cover her song at South by Southwest, and she sees it and decides she's going to start singing again. And she's voiced by Megumi Hashibara, and they do not have her sing, and she just speaks in a whisper the whole time. So it's complete a complete waste of one of the best singing voices in anime voice acting so 
<sighs> anyway, <laughs> Hitori Bochi. I mean, I mean, it sounds like if 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 the because it sounds like what you're talking about is just an idol anime, and it sounds like if if it wasn't set on Mars, would you maybe be less upset that nothing happened and everything gets resolved in an episode? I mean, I probably wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't set in in Mars, you'd it would just be Nana. It would literally just be Nana. Yeah. <laughs> Except Nana has more edge, probably too much edge. Too much edge. There's a lot of like creepy dudes, and no one's creepy except for I think Duncan finds the like blonde reporter who hits on yeah, Tuesday creepy. It's like you said he's supposedly her 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 um uh, romantic interest. Yet the first yeah, thing he does coding is, for that. Yeah, his first thing he does is he comes in and he sort of emotionally manipulates her to do, into doing something, and it's like. <laughs> This is not the person she should be falling for. The, the like, yeah, okay. that's not not good. Love is blind. Love is blind. Duncan. I mean, I'm I'm sure in the end she'll turn him down and stay single so they can keep queer baiting uh, Carol and Tuesday as a couple. But anyway, Hitori Bochi. <laughs> so yeah, I, I watched uh, I watched Hitori Bochi mainly because Duncan said, "Hey, Andy, this is an anime that you'll probably like," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll accept that." And I needed something to watch after Overlord season two, so yeah, I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a watch, and it's fine. I it it's an anime about a girl whose best friend uh, tells her that because she is um, a bit of a loner and she's got some anxiety and nervousness, she has to make friends with everybody in the class by the end of the school, otherwise she will not become friends with her. And bit manipulative, bit shitty, but hey ho, what's the premise without? without a shitty manipulative best friend um, who literally never talks to her even when she's confronted with her like face to face it's like she then just walks away and I'm like man she's kind of a dick like I I would love it if this best friend just really got sick of her and just couldn't just couldn't stand her being like the idea of her being her best friend and just wanted to make her make other friends by pushing her away and then she <laughs> could, because then when you next see her she has her own like group of friends because she's gone to a different school and so in my head i'm like it would be a shitty thing for this person to do but also as a child totally understandable like to be like hey maybe you should make more friends that aren't me so you can fuck off and i can make friends with people i actually like um and uh it's you know it's it's fine it's it's a fun show uh it, it's got a lot of um cute Aesthetics. Hitori Bocci is an adorable, like, round girl who has a weird side ponytail, and every time she gets shocked, she faints, and then her ponytail, like, goes drawn in a straight line. She's very good. Then there's, uh, I think her name's Suano, who's the, like, delinquent-looking girl, but is actually very cute and innocent, and she doesn't... She's just, like, a real home mom kind of girl, but she gets misrepresented by everybody because of the way that she looks, because she's a half... Um, Japanese half foreigner stereotype and then there's like a foreigner girl who I can't remember her name but she wants to become a ninja so for some reason she becomes a ninja in training and then there's Ai-chan who is or Aru I think her name's Aru who's secretly yeah, the best character yeah there's some on her name isn't there yeah who's secretly the best character because she's the vice council president who is constantly unfortunate and that and so what you mostly get there's a great playoff between <coughs> Suano and Aru, who um, constantly give each other jibes behind uh, Hitori's back. 
Um, and by the way, Hitori Bocchi literally means alone person. So there's also an additional <laughs> shitty thing of her parents calling her Hitori Bocchi, which is a fucking shitty thing to do. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's a fun show. I enjoyed all... Like, it made me chuckle a fair few times. It was very cute in places. And uh, I would like it if you've watched Non Nonbiori twice already and you don't know what else to watch. Oh, and you haven't watched Tanaka Kun is already is also what that fucking show Tanaka Kun is always blissless. Yeah. That is a much better show than any of that stuff. And it just made me sort of like think about all this um, trash that I watch and just be like, well, I mean, this is fine. It's acceptable. It's sort of like the the most basis of basis like um, school life, like what's that slice of life shows with an mm. odd premise, but there's much better stuff out there and that's my main problem with it i, w- I mean i think hitori Hibachi is very much like a performance of a, a trope everyone knows and it knows it's it's that and everyone and you as the audience going to watch it know to expect that you're not expecting like this to be some revelatory um t- t- take on the the ideas within it's it's just okay here's a light comedy enjoy or and yeah. if you, you go, go in with that you'll probably come out having enjoyed a few episodes and it's I, as you say it's, it's there's nothing really original about it i wonder it's another one of those where the initial premise as you say is quite weirdly mean and I, I, when I first did it, it was like, what? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> your best friends told told you that they're never going to talk to you again unless you befriend everyone in your class. Yeah, that's... N- I don't think that person was your friend in the first place, lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's... But, I mean, the other thing is that you, you then meet them and she is actually her best friend and she wants to make that connection of another, like to be back with friends again but she's set this weird limit where she's like uh you know i'm not going to talk to you unless you've made friends with everyone and the only way you know that is because she then starts crying afterwards away from hitori when she walks away from the karaoke room which is mm. it's just it's just a, it's just a weird shitty friend thing to do and you're yeah. just like oh, i don't know it's i'll be I mean, talking I... about an, another show uh, later called uh, watamoti or watamoti or however you, or you want to pronounce it um which is covers a a, a a singly withdrawn girl whose best friend goes to a different school leaving her completely friendless and that person has nothing in to kick her out of that rut and seeing the trajectory of that compared to uh, Bocci's trajectory, as shitty as that um, thing may seem, it is. It does give her that impulse to go out and make friends, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, um, I think that the the difference between Hitori Bocchi and Watamote is that Watamote is very much sort of like a lot of the jokes is revolving around the anxiety and the anxious things that you do in day-to-day life, whilst Hitori Bocchi is just a character who has ridiculous anxiety, but you just can't relate to it. So I think the comedy is even different. I think Watamote is a lot better. But mm. I also think that, you know, Watamote... I mean, Watamote is a, a weird 
show in and of itself and we mm-hmm. can talk about it but i think that i don't know i just i just yeah. thought it's already botchy is fine but there's so many more better things and better comedies out there like even uh umaru chan is is amazing uh i fucking love umaru chan like it's sure like season i two enjoy it even as, as terrible as it is yeah um i but it's it's just like i don't know <laughs> hitori bocci's fine it's fine but there's better stuff out there and the problem yeah. is is that in, a, in an anime in, in the anime culture that we're in right now where there's just so much of it is it really worth your time no is the answer unfortunately unless you're really starving for it and you don't want to go down to kill me baby um which ben will one day watch I just like saying kill me baby a lot it's not my fault <laughs> I mean the manga's fine the anime's terrible the anime's so bad it's like you know is the it a typical itself? thing where it's like a, a four coma that they just don't know how hmm. to get the pacing right on oh yeah totally it's all of that and and to be fair like Hitori Bochi does the pacing right like it hits that pacing like it nails it and with kill me baby it's trying to do that super fast like XL saga type gag comedy and mm. it just doesn't work. And, and Speaking of Shinichi Watanabe anime, <laughs> it's called Nabashine. It's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, it just it just doesn't like Kill Me Baby. Just doesn't land the jokes, which was a shame because I actually quite like the manga. I think the manga is quite good. Um, mm. So I just say read the manga, Ben. You really want to watch Kill Me Baby? Um, I was. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I did watch all of the. I did read all of the Sleepy Barmaid uh, manga that Jeff linked. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this week it's got I mean okay good things about uh, so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in on like reading manga now but good things about Sleepy <laughs> Barmaid real quick um, the person who's writing it like knows cocktails and bar culture really well they haven't just done research I wouldn't be surprised if they've actually bartended um, unfortunately the plot is really boring and spins its wheels and it's about this like lady who sleeps all day and then has like a like a bar cart she pushes around the streets just to run into people so it's kind of just like someone read bartender and was like well it makes more sense if she like brings the bar to them then because then you don't have that heavy door that prevents people from opening the bar Um, but yeah I don't know it's it was nice it was nice to like have someone uh like explain shaking versus stirring in a way that shows someone who's actually like done the theory versus someone who randomly re- reads uh yeah isn't that the thing with like james bond's cocktail where it's like it doesn't actually matter if you shake it or stir it well okay that is actually <laughs> we'll probably be cutting all this but that's actually a, a a a uh there's a lot of reasons why people prefer their martinis stirred instead of shaken um the first is that shaking uh dilutes it by around 20 to 40 percent more so it's a it's a more liquid but a more watered down martini um, which some most people like their martinis very cold and very strong um shaking causes more chips to come off of the ice which means that it lacks clarity and also um that it will uh that it will actually get more watered down as those ice chips in the drink melt um and there's also people who firmly believe that it's possible to bruise gin by shaking it too rigorously (laughs) without without the cushion of fruit juice um and it makes gin more bitter this has largely not been held up in like chemical tests but people still claim that like if you if you shake a cocktail you bruise the gin and it becomes more bitter than if you gently stirred it so those are the three reasons um some people have suggested that uh, Ian Fleming just wanted James Bond to be different by sh- shaking a martini. Um, some people s- suggest that he wanted to signify that he was from a lower class background, uh, and so he didn't know that 
you stir and don't shake a martini. Some people have suggested that he is a massive alcoholic, and so he wanted his martinis more watered down so that they don't hit him as hard uh, as he's drinking them. So, yes, that's a brief history of shaken, not stirred. <laughs> I mean, it could just be because it was a cool thing to say, right? Like, it could also just be that. Is it yeah, a cool but thing it's... to say, or is it? It's only, like, retroactively cool because James Bond says it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it could be anything. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Because it, it actually is, it would be, it would be ridiculous. Um, it would be like, like a order, ordering your scrambled eggs like over easy or something where it's just like, okay, yeah. I guess we can do that. But <laughs> Give me a Guinness entirely made of head. <laughs> it's a thing you can do that's very different. It's just kind of weird. And I mean, he had to specify it because until, until James Bond became popular, it'd be very weird to order your martini shaken. Um, the only reason to shake a martini is if you're in a real hurry and you don't have the time to like, you know, set out a glass and do the stirring because shaking's faster. You dilute it faster. But yeah, it's uh... <sighs> okay. Well, speaking of, I can't come up with a segue. Jeff, watched... yeah, I've, I've been watching like the exact polar opposite of Non Non Biori. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, uh, you, non -non... Should watch, you should watch Non Non Biori because you seem to not like anything that I like as well. So maybe you should give it a watch. Why would you hurt yourself no. like this, Andy? <laughs> I just want more people to watch my favorite show. <laughs> I watched it. I still need to watch the second the second season. Um, but this is the joy. This is the genius about the second season. Is it? It's not even like the second year. It's just the repeat of the first year timeline, which again is folding into the idea that like childhood is timeless and ageless. In that, mm -hmm. it, it's the same events, like the same year. Like they don't progress, but they. They still have the same like timeline of the same year, but they just show different events of it in non non viewing repeat. I forget. Great. I forget. It was that makes sense for the repeat. Then I I just thought it was just a bad way of saying two. <laughs> um, anyway, which Jeff. is not which is not out of the realm of possibility. But real quick, Andy, have you have you seen Manami K? You ever watch Manami uh, K? Yeah, I think I've seen them. Uh, well, no, there's a there's a ton of Manami K, and it's basically just crap non nonbiori. So you might want to look into it. <laughs> yeah, but if it's not as good as non nonbiori, then well, uh, nothing's uh, good as non nonbiori. It's your favorite anime. That is true. All right, I'll give it a watch. <laughs> <laughs> I that was a show that I that I didn't like, and then I was watching it on VLC and turned up to one point two five times playback, and it became a lot better anime. It was really fast and like <laughs> snappy. I think I've already told the story on the podcast, like back in episode ten or something. Yeah. See, like, yeah, it's I. I have um. No, it's not on Crunchy. That's going to make it hard to watch. Um, I have a friend who who like. Her, his wife is into anime before she he was and occasionally he'd send me like screenshots of the stuff that he's watching and it was like love live and then it was minami k and i was like holy shit that's a huge jump like love live <laughs> like fucking sailor moon and then minami k i'm like hmm okay interesting and then they watched school rumble i think i, I didn't get his opinion on that so, uh... it's fine it's kind of boring <laughs> it's a it's a will they won't they love comedy so yeah anyway baki yeah, I've been watching Bucky on Netflix because I think John had started watching it randomly yeah, and yeah, just like demanded that I watch it as well because I like to eat garbage. Um, <laughs> man, like that, that show is some like just oh, like 
naive just pure anime bullshit like it is like it like i mean because like the original baki the grappler because like okay so baki the grappler on netflix is a continuation of the baki the or baki is just baki on netflix is a continuation of baki the grappler uh which was a like 50 episode or so show from the early 2000s uh which told the story of a Uh, like 17 year old like mixed martial arts fighter who fights yakuza's and like karate masters and gorillas and his dad is akuma from street fighter and it's just like it's just a hundred percent testosterone a hundred percent ridiculous fighting and everybody you know the you know the conclusion of every fight is you know every single person has every bone broken but they're all still fighting at 110 percent because they just have that that the fighting spirit and the you know the end of the first season has or the end of the first show has him defeating his brother and the second series basically starts on the first episode the like the master of this underground fighting arena tournament says hey have you ever heard of this like quantum theory thing called synchronicity well <laughs> five of the most evil death row inmates have all simultaneously decided to come to Tokyo and fight you. And that's just what happened. Like, there's no, like, it's just so like, like, okay, how, how we, all we, stand members, how all stand users are naturally drawn together. Yeah, like, I actually, like, I, I was actually kind of shocked because, like, I'd never seen the original Baki the Grappler show. It was just kind of like one of those the weird things that was, like, you know, kind of in the same like stratosphere as like md geist or uh death city shinjuku of just like weird violence porn shows that you were in blockbuster video well right it's the it's the descendant of like the the early to mid 80s ova boom where like you have stuff like bayo and stuff that's just just it's about making a 45 to 50 minute anime of like someone because that's actually baki had an ova of the death row inmate fight in mm-hmm. 1994, that was the first time it was adapted. Uh, was just that, just the arc of just there's this guy. He's gonna fight five death row inmate guys. That's it. That's our story. So, yep. and that mean that it even spread out to 24 episodes on Netflix. That's that's the story too. They you know <laughs> these these five guys break out of jail and they go to Tokyo and you know an eclectic gang of pit fighters that were from the first series who you know if you haven't seen the first show you'll have no idea who any of them are but they just pretend that you do uh Mm. they do fights and everybody gets every bone broken and like this gigantic yakuza dude you know you know he's you know he's shot in the kneecaps he has like half his face blown off because he like gets his mouth full of you know of nine millimeter bullets and punched in the face so that they all go off at once. And that just kind of like blows his cheeks off, but he's just like, he's just fine because he's mad. And it's just, it's just like, it's just this weird, like intense chaos energy that it's, it's almost refreshing coming, you know, being an old head and watching this, the, like the hyper garbage of the nineties, like, that they're still making that kind of stuff. And I was really shocked actually that the manga, which I actually ended up reading a whole bunch of, cause I was curious as to who these weird characters are. I, I had assumed that it must've been written in like the sixties. Cause it has that like, 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 like devil man cry baby. You know, it's, it's based on devil man, which was written in like the sixties or seventies. 
and i thought that you know okay this must be of the same era but it's from the 90s and so like you know this is like yeah. you know well after jojo's well after everything well, I mean, years ago. yeah that, that i would have expected that like it looked like a 90s type of anime well, I mean, it looks like a 90s kind of anime, but I, I figured the source material must have been way older because it just it has no sense that it's like it's learned anything from anybody else because it just it it makes these baffling choices like, you know, Baki, when he's 13 years old, fights a Sasquatch. And that's just like it's just played completely straight. And, you know, and to become friends at the end because that's what you do in a fighting show. Yeah, he, he befriends everybody except for the truly evil people who die for unrelated causes yeah. um, after he defeats them. Fair and square. Yep. And, yeah, are you and, just shocked that it's so outrageous or are you shocked that it's so violent? Um, it's, it's, it's not even that it's... I mean, it's, it's violent, but it also just... The uh, it, uh, just it's just like the the dumbness of it. Like it really, really feels like something that you would like if you've ever played like a D and D game. That's like you know, it was like oh, we're gonna be real edgy about it, and like you know, you just you're taking you know, it's like oh yeah, you got your arm cut off. It's like oh, but I'm I'm gonna use this feat. And I'm gonna still keep going, and everybody's just like you know, a walking torso by the end of the by the end of the the thing that you're doing because you're 13 and that's cool like that's just what the show is <laughs> it's, it's just like it's just there's there's no conceit that any of these people are like human in any way and you know even at the end of all of this you know a couple weeks in traction with some tape wrapped around their limbs and then they're fine like a dude gets his arm cut off with a uh, like a fishing line or something and he just like you know puts it in a bag of ice and takes it to some like back alley doctor in Kabuki Joe and has it tied back you know have it has it sewn back on and it's just like hmm it's just you know it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that uh, what Jeff's referring to with thinking it's from an earlier time is it's not really in conversation with other um, strong men muscle porn hyper violence anime. It just seems mm-hmm. kind of like it's its own thing, where with the. I would say at least from me having watched all of the original 2001 series, like it, it has like the fearlessness and the conviction that it's the first one to do all of these extremely trite, like fighting anime trope (laughs) things with like the power of like a 10 year old drawing their first comic. Um, They watch, they like, they've watched Batman, the animated series, and now they're going to do like crime man, uh, king of the night and they just write a bunch of stuff that's just completely it's just it's it's weird it's almost artful in its artlessness is kind mm-hmm. of my, my read of it i don't know yeah it's it's you know i, I can't remember we've already said this on mike but it, it's it's axe cop but unironic yeah and like and that and that has a charm in itself if you want yeah. some intensely dumb shit i would say watch at least the first half of baki because the you get this like weird murder Santa Claus, which I think they coined the term on ANN, where it's just like you know he's just the, this guy Dorian, and he's just you know he's secretly a, a Chinese martial arts master, and he's like a hundred years old, and he's just you know impossible to kill. You know they, they set him on fire and they cut his ear off, and he bothers to like put a bandaid on his ear and doesn't even like he just kind of forgets that he was on fire for like a good five minutes straight. It's, it's just isn't like, that, mm. <laughs> isn't it? But I mean, that's just part of sort of like the like the sane and sensibility shows, right? Because you still have like Gantz, which again is like hyper violent, and people get ripped up in half and shit like that. Where... But uh, but at least that show doesn't have the conceit that they're all like you know 
they're all undead or they have there's there's some reason why they can go through this kind of torture and still Gantz be is kind of um weird techno noir meets lost meets backy i guess so <laughs> it's i don't i don't think i don't think that's a good comparison because it's just maybe something no. like um banana fish where uh, they were quite happy to do quite brutal things to its cast um but I, I was thinking of I, maybe even uh, like Akagi, like um, the way that he gets sort of tormented at the end, beginning of season two. And... I, I mean, think the thing well, is, none... Jeff, Jeff, like Jeff, this is not part of the the anime that he's seen because it already happened. But in the original series, Baki's dad, who is so evil um, that his muscles make a demon face in his back, and he's often mm. referred as like as like <laughs> demon face back. Um, <laughs> And like free people freak out when they see when they see like his the demon face on his back because it looks a lot like a demon face to them. It looks like a bunch of muscles bunching up in the weird like unanatomical way that anime muscles often bunch up, especially in eighties and nineties manga. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, but he like wants to get more power, so he calls up the president of the United States and says, mm-hmm. "I'm coming for you." And then the president, of course, like surrounds. Um, <laughs> surrounds the White House with 300 Secret Service agents, and the dad beats up or kills every single one of them, and then, like, walks up to the president and is like, now you know I'm really good, I want a job. Like, that is that is the the level of, like, un, unflinching, like, man, isn't this badass, like, a bunch of kids in the playground trying to one-up each other uh, with yeah. how badass their, like, imaginary character is. That's, like, the level of just kind of unaware, like, libidinous... <laughs> Yeah, violence loving. Yeah, there's a moment in the manga where like him and his Baki and his dad are gonna fight, and then everybody's like, "Whoa, there's an earthquake!" And then the dad punches the ground, and the earthquake stops. And he's just supposed to be a guy, like he's not supposed to be like a, like a super <laughs> saiyan or something. He, but he just like he punches the ground, and the earthquake stops, and everybody's just like, "Oh shit!" So, he's just really <laughs> strong, Jess. Yeah. This is making like. It sounds like his dad's Chuck Norris. Like, oh yeah, it's like, like yeah, again, yeah, it's hundred like, percent conversation with like, that. What if least, every yeah. Chuck Norris joke was your evil dad, and you had to fight him when you were thirteen years old? It and he wants, like... and he's, tra- and he's training you up because no one else is good enough to beat him. So he's hoping he can train up his own son so that he can like have the best fight of his life. So yeah. But it sounds like that's like a lot of martial arts shows anyway, isn't it? Like a lot of martial arts is all about like being the best. Punching the ground, fighting your way through 300 secret service agents to get a job from the president. Andy, I think that you're missing on terms of scale is what we're talking about. Sure. But I mean, like the, the terms of martial arts and fighting shows all about being the best and the strongest. Is mm-hmm. what I was sort of more apl- applying to, and then also applying that sort of like sane and sensibility of ridiculousness and violence. And sure, it may be played straight, but I wonder if even the writer is think is doing it with slightly tongue in cheek. But uh, it's it's, I mean, it's played be, it's played isn't... dead straight, Andy. Oh, yeah. I cannot emphasize that enough. I mean, I can only look forward to next season when we have what was it no gun life with a guy's oh my god. I knew we were gonna bring this up. (laughs) (laughs) Even even that looks like I've seen one panel of it, and I can already see more self awareness in that single panel than anything else that's in this show. It's called like SF Hard Boiled Cop something. It's stupid. It's gonna be amazing. But well, it, Hard Boiled was a famous Frank Miller comic, so I wonder if that's de- a deliberate tribute. Also no. a famous Chow Yun-Fat uh, yeah. Yeah. thing. I think you're thinking of Sin City. It's, 
it's a reference <laughs> it's a reference to like japan considers like detective like grizzly detective shows hard-boiled cops there's a great episode of gintama all about it um which yeah. is where about he tries to do like cutaways and it goes into black and white and then he has an internal monologue and then he's like because i'm so hard-boiled and then <laughs> uh, and then he just orders eggs it's a brilliant brilliant episode mm. um, about 180 in i think <laughs> oh boy i'll yeah we'll all right just watch that. all of it yeah <laughs> um yeah so if, if you if you like a show where one of the bad guys trained by punching the statue of liberty and then it cuts to the statue of liberty exploding then you should watch baki that's my that's my sales pitch for you i do like in baki how like america is like the ultimate training ground because it's just so so violent and full of so many like muscular men yeah America and China, so... Well, I mean, it is. I, I honestly, Ben, I don't know how you survive without beating up at least three people in order to get some milk for, in the morning. If my playing of River City Ransom is anything. I mean, to to be completely fair, I actually get that question almost unironically uh, from all the people who read, like, number one murder cities in America, and they're like, oh, St. Louis is the number one murder capital. I'm like, it's all in East St. Louis. You don't... And also, most of the murders are people killing people they know because that's for a lot. Of, uh, it's dumb. Yeah, America's <laughs> people don't understand how big America is. I mean, I'm sure that our resident Canadian here also has like people don't understand how far apart everything is in Canada. Yeah. There's plenty of room for normal people to live in between all like the Baki the Grappler death row inmate tournaments going on. <laughs> Well, you know that that giant building in Pyongyang in North Korea, where it's like it's it's huge, just dominates the skyline, but oh, only yeah. like the first three floors are inhabited. That's basically Canada if you're looking at it on a map. <laughs> <laughs> so people don't understand how small Canada is. It's actually the reverse. <laughs> it just looks big. Yeah, Kansas is bigger than before. The, the places it's that a shower. <laughs> Wasn't there a thing where it was like every Canadian technically has like. 100 acres of land if they like if you divide if you, it out equally <laughs> if you like don't mind some desolate like tundra yeah yeah it's probably more than that but yeah yeah if you if you don't want if you don't mind like either like the deepest darkest uh coniferous forests or like tundra i mean hell in 15 years it's probably all going to be nice and tropical anyway so right. yeah, get on right. it right now you might as well make make your bucks have you also seen that amazing documentary about ma- the maple syrup heist Oh, no. you gotta watch that, Jeff. It's uh. We'll we'll link it. We'll link it in the show notes. Let's go ahead and take a break, though. And we're back for the second half of our podcast, recovering our theme for this week, which is creepy loner girls or mojos or uh, whatever we want to call them. This is kind of a a topic that's adjacent to female otaku slash fujoshi stuff, where they're also uh loners socially awkward creepy interested in the occult um they have a certain visual language that's pale skin shadowed eyes uh, long unkempt hair often black uh, i think that the most obvious example and one that, that duncan actually uh, re- uh watched all the way through again is watamote right mm. i mean this is what a random generator and a list of tropes gets us, gentlemen. But I, I had fun studying this. I mean, I'll we'll cover my stuff later. But yeah, it was it's it's a difficult trope because it's not I, it's not a good trope. Let's let's start with that. <laughs> it's it is very 
very much a trope which comes from the male gaze. Like, Watamote, st- the, the anime version of Watamote is bookended by um, its own definition of what uh, a loner girl is. So, Watamote's uh, def- definition of a, an unpopular girl is girls who are considered unpopular have no experience in a relationship with men, never been asked out, and are pure and untouched. So it's almost exclusively defining them in their lack of interaction with the opposite sex and their issues within that. And like this initial framing we get of the um, of the uh, protagonist of uh, Watamate, or more fully, no matter how I look at it, it's you guys' fault. I'm not popular. Uh, Tomoko is. She's a girl with deep, deep anxiety issues who has struggled through her, her middle school years with the help of her, her one friend and is, has now decided, right, I'm in my new high school. I'm going to try and break out of this vision I have of myself, what I think others think of me. She thinks of herself as this person who is completely incapable of making these these relationships who is just alone is ugly is just fated almost to be alone and who at least early on in the series very much defines herself in in a very teenage way by her lack of understanding of uh relationships and uh, it's Probably the what the single toughest to watch series I can think of. I have no idea how I made it through this in like two days and haven't actually just broken down <laughs> because it is just utterly unrelenting and it's like it's a very strange thing because when people talk about black comedies, they they'll you'll get things trotted out which while still grim, have a a laughter track and obvious points where it's farcical or where the the characters don't know how incredibly bizarre the the events going on is. But the the tragedy of Watamate is that uh, Tomoko is very much aware of everything that is going wrong to her and that she, she almost is... We're almost seeing it from her anxiety's point of view of herself. That's how the series is presented. Like, I, I do feel that a lot of the other jokes are also projections of general day-to-day kindness that she misconceives as. Mm. Like, that's, that's, I was, was going to wait till Duncan finished talking <laughs> to like to bring that up, but yeah. But that, that, we'll that's talk her, about it in a bit. But but that's still her. We see it's still her very much her reaction to those. It, I don't know, she, she's, like, incredibly... Tra- like, when we were talking uh, briefly about Hitori Bocci and the way that you thought, OK, her friend's coolness to to kick her out of her, her, her crippling social anxiety is a bit on the, the, the extreme side. It is, but equally so, it takes us until the end of the first... 12 arcs for anyone to reach out to Tomoko and just literally give her a hug and and just suggest that to her that maybe she's 
not as worthless as she's just convinced herself she is. Yeah, I so I actually wrote up something about this a long, long time ago. It looks like looks like uh, 2014. Um, but it is, I think, about that Tomoko has this extremely well-defined idea of how the world works. And I think that the... I don't think the show actually believes in its definition of a popular girl. I think that that yeah. it's speaking on Tomoko's like weird pride and vanity that keeps her in this prison where she continually humiliates herself with basic social interactions um, because because she's so caught in this worldview of how of how things should work um, that she it, even beyond like situations where she gets caught cheating at a card game with a bunch of little kids because she wants to look like a badass. She has multiple instances where uh, she where both her happiest moments and her lowest moments are defined by her assumptions uh, yeah, and yeah. framing her ignorance. Like when I think I wrote up when she has to do this remedial drawing class, which she refuses to do because, um, because she, she thinks she's too good to interact with her fellow classmates. She ended up being stuck with the other guy who skipped the class and they have to write, they have to draw portraits of each other. And he draws this really nice portrait that she's really flattered and warmed by um, and asked to keep it. And it like clearly makes her day that someone drew this like kind of pretty generically pretty picture of her and then it's revealed uh that this guy is with the manga club and he that's he draws faces the same way because <laughs> all the time because he just he just churns them is out this... and so she lacks the context to know um that she he doesn't actually see her that way but in that sentence it makes her happy and he's obviously a k-on fan yes <laughs> uh that's cold um, but on the other hand, like there's the time when she, uh, her umbrella breaks and she has a really in, embarrassing interaction with these guys where she like basically to like excuse herself, talks about how she has like explosive diarrhea and then feels horrible and humiliated about that. And they bring her an umbrella while she's, while she's sleeping, um, to replace her broken umbrella. And then she walks home even more humiliated because she, she thinks that she's stolen an umbrella from someone else who needs it. And so I think the one moment at the end of Watamote and the thing that keeps it from being, as you said, just a brutally unhappy picture of someone who's trapped by just how their mental furniture is set up, that they'll, that she's continually putting herself in these incredibly humiliating situations and then behaving poorly because of these weird caricatured media influenced pictures of how the world should work mm, in scare quotes yeah. is that she does actually just see someone for who they are and actually recognizes finally after episode after episode of, of missing all the nice things in her life and, and kind of like just being too clueless to realize a way out of this bad situation that she's in personally, she finally recognizes an act of kindness um, for what it is. And we have a sense that like the arc of the universe um, curves like very, very, uh, very slowly, but it does curve towards justice and growing up and growing out of what is clearly just a brutally unpleasant phase in her life. Yeah. Does, <laughs> does this, uh, this scene halfway through where it's, it's summer break and it's, so it's halfway through her first year and she's, she spends the first day of, of summer break just in her room, uh, reading manga watching the internet and at, at the end of the day we see her in bed and it's like two o'clock and 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 you hear a voice before you see her face and, you, and she's saying oh it's great i can i can stay in in all day and i can just what read 
manga and watch anime and play games and then it and it finally cuts up to her just crying and just obviously just aware that this is not really what she wants and yet it's just what she's trapped in yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't really know what to make of of the definition where she considers someone who's like ugly and unpopular um and but like i do think that she recognizes uh, that she has more in common with that definition by the end of the show, and therefore she needs to be kinder to herself rather than when she first reads it and she's like, look at these losers. I'm nothing like that. I've played I tons think... of dating sims to <laughs> to to know yeah. exactly how to relate with the opposite sex. I, I uh, think an- another interesting thing about it is I think it's one of the first shows I've ever seen where a lot of someone's dysfunction comes from their um, interaction with the internet. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's that's where that definition comes from, her searching up what, what basically what is a unpopular girl, because she's, she's anxious about, is she going to be unpopular uh, in her new school? And so she's, he searches, as you say, she searches up, she looks for an answer, and then she tries to apply that to her life in just the most miserable and self-defeating way and it's just i i can't emphasize how hard it is to watch but it is i i I, this is like i don't like to say this like it feels like an important thing to watch (laughs) like it's like (laughs) no i think so i don't think anything i think that it's challenging in a way that a lot of anime is not and like Tomoko isn't secretly sexy or secretly cool in a way that we'll be talking about other shows in a second. She actually is just an awkward girl with poor hygiene and a hugely inflated uh, sense of her like knowledge and social ability that keep, that leads her to just be a really awful person to be around. And she's terrible to her best friend. Um, and like, because we we spend so much time with it in her voice, we see that she that she hates and doesn't respect her her best friend, despite being the only actual friend she has and a real friend at that, not a fake friend. It's an interesting um, directed one as well because it's it uses a uh, lot of distortions and uh, strange uh, sort of weird camera angles, and so it's like you get the sense of claustrophobia and sort of. There's this scene where she's talking to a, a teacher when she's been she's forgotten her her textbook and the teacher's called her out on it and so it's she's like well why didn't you ask your friend and and she's like I'm sorry I, I forgot and then why didn't you ask that guy over there and she's like I'm sorry I and you can just yeah and every time oh, it's awful too yeah <laughs> and it's like she's it it's got this really strange thing because they're like the screen's being like sliced into bits and it it's like this gives this feeling of fidgeting because you've got different parts of the screen moving about and it's like this this trapped nervous energy to it and yeah. it's like that's it's so difficult to watch and it it and it's 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 every worst moment of your childhood years and 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 this is even this is without the catharsis of something like Flowers of Evil, like which has its cathartic moments. This is just yeah, it lashes out at the end. This never she never gets to lash out because she's so powerless in her own weird social dysfunction. Yeah, it's like and it, but it does end on a hopeful note, as 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 you say, and I, I've. Done a li- I managed to do a little bit of reading of, the, of some of the manga stuff, which follows on, and it does look like it. It it does 
slowly trend upwards, but we only get the, the, this incredibly harsh start. Yeah. Well, the the the, the beginning and the end of the of the show, in addition to the de- into addition to the definition, it does say here we have a particular girl, an unpopular girl, and her story doesn't really matter. And it's the idea that this is just a phase and something that maybe once she's older, like this won't be a part of her identity except self except subconsciously like it is just a weird cul-de-sac and growing up that thankfully most of us move past at least that's my interpretation mm. of that that yeah. line yeah and it's it's definitely this idea that there isn't a necessarily a right way to get out of that sort of thing it's not a solvable problem yeah and it's not even like her agency like all her attempts to become popular fail in the worst way possible yeah I think Andy had something to say as well. No, not much. It's just that I, I, just, I just, I just remember it's sort of, it, it's very much like I, I never thought that dark comedy was a term. It, it's cringe comedy in a way that Japan's or mm. anime's never really done cringe comedy before because it I, really I don't find plays it. up the awkwardness and the mm. the bad social interactions that uh, that Tomoko has with literally everyone. And I do think it's also very much trying to be a, a sort of reflection on your own past and your own sort of mm-hmm. awkward interactions that you've had as a child. And I think that's where a lot of the comedy lies. So whilst it may be considered from a dry perspective, like a, a hard watch, it is funny. Like, it is funny. It's, it's, it it's miserably laugh. funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. I never thought of it as like a, a black comedy. It's, I guess it's dark in the fact that it's not like a happy, happy show, but um, it's a, it's it's unique in the fact that nothing else has really done this, and this character trope can very much be defined with this one character, and then the problem with that character show trope also ends because you know if you look at even if you look at like Hitori Bocchi, which is about a girl who similarly is alone and could be construed as gloomy at the beginning. Like you can't have a main character who's like that all the time because you have to gain friends in order to have interactions and in order to play off those interactions as forms of comedy. So I think this is sort of where the shortcomings of this sort of trope ends is that you can't have a main character like this for very long. Because mm-hmm. eventually they have to make friends. Why it works in Watamote is because she she has she like what we have is she has this very like rich and like well defined inner voice and she's constantly narrating what has happened and what what she thinks is going to happen next and she is she is so thoroughly wrong every time and just like yeah. the idea that she constantly has plans like when she does something stupid her immediate response is always to lie her way out of it and she's a very bad liar oh God, and yeah. so we and so we hear her like come up with how she's going to like play it off with this like really casual lie and then like in her head like in her head she like imagines it and then she comes out and I don't think we've mentioned this but like Tomoko has an extremely like shrill and grating voice that's an excellent performance by the by the voice actor where she kind of talks like this all the time and and she like and as you said with the like forgot the forgot her book she like mumbles a lot and they <laughs> and so oftentimes the show will like catch her on that and like the person like, I can't hear you and she's like I I thought I was going to it's like what what <laughs> yeah. So, yeah i also remember the bit i remember the most out of that show was when 
she stands up to introduce herself oh. and she brings out that huge piece of paper and then is just like I'm Tomiko and then sits down and thinks that's a hilarious gag and then nobody gets it and it's like it's, it's <laughs> those sort of like things that I always thought I don't know I, I like Watamote uh, I can't really remember if I watched all of it but I definitely read a whole bunch um, mm. and yeah it's it's an interesting show and unique in yeah. its character, but I think a lot of it plays on a person who is very much depressed, has sort of like early stage of depression and anxiety. Um, and I think that is also maybe reflective of a lot of school kids at that age. Yeah. Well, a, mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people decry it as, as misery porn or like animated mm-hmm. sadism. And I think, I think that as you said with the comedy, why the comedy works is because like, we've all been there. We've all been when she, when she like has this like carefully crafted, like audio porn track that she's made. Um, that's giving her like a lot of like pleasure and happiness. And then she accidentally unplugs her headphones and her, <laughs> her, her is it her, her dad hears? No, no, no. The, the, there's two cringeworthy moments with that. Her mum walks in on, on that. And then her, uh, then she, with her dad, uh, she, she, she wins a competition for a, um, a shoulder massager, <laughs> uh, which, which is, which you, you may have seen in other places. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like her, like just like the, this, like it's not, the show is, is very mean to Tomiko because Tomiko does not know how to be nice to herself, I think yeah. is, is what it is. Yeah. And so it's, it's easy to mistake that as the show being mean to Tomiko, but Tomiko, it wants Tomiko to succeed. She's just kind. She's not as smart or funny or like socially adept as she thinks she is. And she just relentlessly, puts herself in bad situations and as you said Andy like comes up with these very complex jokes in her head and then like does them and no one laughs and if if you have not experienced that you have never tried to tell a joke it's what I honestly think so oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing worse in life than when a joke just falls on its ass and you're just sitting there like trying to explain your your shitty attempt or, or don't and you just coffee. sit there and like everyone's like wow they're weird <laughs> you're, like, you're like no I'm funny yeah Idiots. Just don't appreciate good <laughs> jokes and art. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny we've we started with Watamote, and that almost to me sounds like a deconstruction of yeah of yeah. the trope because like when I was I was looking at the the TV tropes and then I realized like okay I've seen this character show up in a lot of shows and usually they are you know a one note gag in a big ensemble cast. And they're just like the person that they go to, and they, you know they're you know they're cackling over a literal witch cauldron. Yeah, the, the, and this, the Susie from uh, Little Witch Academia. Yeah, and I think you know, like you were saying, you know, if you have a show that's just about that character, you have to either make it about them not being that anymore, or just immediately abandon the joke, or it just becomes Flowers of Evil, and it's Nakamura, who's like a genuinely just disturbed person who cannot interact with other human beings, and eventually ends up nearly killing the people around her. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that, because the other show that I think of when I think of like the, the creepy loner girl, um, which does have a much more traditional arc, is The Wallflower, or Yamata Nadeshika Shichihenge, um, which is about um, f- four handsome, popular bishi boys 
who uh, Bishonen, who live in a large mansion and basically just have the easiest lifestyle. And then their landlord comes by and she's a, a globe trotting playgirl and she wants them to take care of her niece, who is kind of a late bloomer. And so that's how they meet Sunako, who always who always walks around in like tracksuit pants and like a loose like T-shirt sweatshirt. Uh, and keeps an anatomical dolls and loves like super gory horror movies like banned in Japan horror movies are her favorite thing um, and they have to like turn her into a lady and it's on the one hand it reminds me actually a lot of Princess Jellyfish and I don't know if, if I'm scooping yeah. anyone's flavor yeah. there uh, but in terms of like ultimately is a show about how Sunika's happy being like a weird uh, gore-obsessed homebody and doesn't want to be around these popular guys. And they end up mostly accepting her as, like, someone... Even though they find her really creepy and scary, they end up accepting her. On the other hand, it is a show where actually Sunako's super beautiful underneath the acne, and if she tweezes her eyebrows and moisturizes her lips, then she actually is, like, a beautiful, purple-eyed Kurokami beauty. Um, and that's actually part of the show's comedy is that like she does clean up really well and she just doesn't want to be pretty. Um, but I, I mean, I watched this way back, like around the time, close to the time it came out in the, uh, in the early 2000, early to mid 2000s. And I still think it's a really funny show because you have these three guys who are the epitome of like, there's the, there's the adult mature one. There's the like lascivious playboy. There's the like, rough bad boy and then there's like the like little kid little brother one like the three archetypes four archetypes mm. of Bishonen. um so it is it is interesting that the show kind of plays back and forth and there's things where like someone sees sunako when she's all dressed and cleaned up and then they want to have her go to a photo shoot but then she won't clean up for the photo shoot and brings her like anatomy <laughs> like life-size anatomy doll that she loves to bring around named hiroshi um, who was often the narrator of the show, um, and they, and they end up like freaking out the photographer and a ghost. It's a very silly show where it's a lot of madcap action. But I do like, even though it doesn't go all the way there, because I think it'd be better if Sunoko actually wasn't that pretty, and it's okay just for her to be whatever the fuck she wants to be, where it isn't like, but she is actually beautiful, by the way. Mm. But I do enjoy it in that way, in that respect. Um, I don't know. I know that none of you have seen it, that some of you have read the manga, which unfortunately yeah. goes full where Sunako falls in love with Kyohei, the bad boy, and decides to like clean up permanently and become his housewife, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but but the anime doesn't have that ending. The anime ending is <laughs> is that the, the woman comes back, the, the landlord comes back, and she says, like, she, inv- she really wants uh, Sunako to come to her this party, which ends up being the 10th. 10th anniversary of uh, her now deceased husband's death uh, and wants Sunako to be there for that because Sunako comforted her and Sunako explains like after after they hijinks ensue and Sunako's finally like uh, I, I'll come to your party uh, because like you supported me but I am not going to change who I am and I, you need to stop trying to turn me into a lady which they always in the anime call like la- lady uh, <laughs> or it's the English, the English word, um, and the, the landlord has a, a joke where she always like talks in like random French phrases. It's very it introduced me very early on to like Japan's love of like French hot hot couture and stuff. 
Um, but then she falls down the stairs. She's wearing a, like a like a cloak to cover herself up, and it ends up that she actually did get dressed up for the party. And then it, that's the end. So it's interesting that immediately the the most recent encounter I've had with um, that trope is uh, Fruits Basket, which is another male harem show, uh-huh. and it, it's uh, one of the support characters is just. The, the trope to a T, with the twist being that instead of just looking like a skate, which she actually does have weird powers, and her <laughs> her entire little strange two two episode arc was as she accidentally hurt someone when, when she was a kid because her powers were too strong, and I I thought they were going to subvert it. I thought it was going to be oh she just thinks someone just is hurt themselves around her and and she's been blaming herself and self-isolating for years but no later in the episode oh yes your powers really are real real and it's like oh oh fair enough see this is <laughs> this is what i always have problems with fruits baskets like every for everything that's good there's something that's kind of dumb and weird about it i feel like i don't know well uh, in the end it's like well they do turn into animals when they they're hurt so <laughs> I'll, 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 i can't complain too much oh my, fa- my favorite nerd argument is like this this supernatural element makes sense but this supernatural element's totally taken me out of the work yeah <laughs> it's, oh, it defies it's, the fiction yeah. of the universe yes yeah. and it, it, it goes against the law <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if it is like something which comes, which re- very rarely is the main character, and that's why both of the ones we've talked about have sort of been subversions of it. Like it's normally someone who's like uh, the either a contrast to another character or a, a support to another. Uh, it's like I was thinking like there's one of the few like it's, it's strange to say like. This is something which is very much defined as being about a girl, but there's a very strong, almost male example in uh, on high school uh, host club, where um, there's a uh, someone called Nekozawa who's like this <laughs> really gloomy, oh, yeah, I remember, gloomy bloke who just he literally hides in the shadows and has this little devil cat puppet which he he and he's he's like everyone's scared of him and thinks he does black magic and stuff and it's it's just like he's all he actually wants to do is make 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 friends with his little sister and he his this weird puppet everyone thinks is freaky is just his attempt to 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 be nice and and when he actually clean he he's just like the wallflower he he it's when he pulls back his hood because he goes around in this like warlock hood all all day when he pulls it back he's actually this blonde brilliant prince and it's like oh well uh, yeah he wears a, he wears a black wig to look more to look more <laughs> yeah. to look more spooky so <laughs> uh but yeah like i don't know like it there it's really hard to have like i think this character probably in like earlier shoujo manga and anime um especially probably like exists as like the creepy girl who's kind of on the fringes of the plot but i think whenever they like it's really hard not to have a subversion and even when they borrow just small elements of it from like i think we talked about ori ori emo or um where the where uh Kuroneko or in Princess Jellyfish where like we have all these awkward girls who are all like hikikomori to some extent mm. um, like almost all of them clean up really well or know that they know that they are unpopular or they have actual magical powers or some some combination of that where you can't just have just a creepy outcast be a creepy outcast which is probably for the best I don't know <laughs> yeah I think 
I think this is where the the trope evolves into, though. I think the hikimori sort of neat uh, outcast is is where is probably why this trope isn't very big uh, or uh, you know, at all, because you have the hikimori trope, which is that and more. In that, a lot of hikimoris can be very like spiteful and hateful of the people that they view as wronged, um, and uh, yeah, like I don't know. Mm. Do you think it? Do you think it's related to like the otaku murders then of like not wanting to show too many like creepy outcasts because of the the like rash of otaku murders made that kind of trope unpopular. Yeah, maybe. I think it's also a, a little bit of the fact that like almost every creepy loner girl is introduced in a show, and then when she gets paired up with a guy, you know, evolves like a Pokemon into being a Yandere. There's that too. You know, she keeps all of her all of her weird, you know, affectations. But now she's just like has a creepy fixation on the dude. And also, yeah. And I guess also you got the other affiliation with the occult, which can still be a problem in Japan. Uh, I think I mentioned the Mm -hmm. happy science cult, which is uh, Mm -hmm. very real and very scary. Um, Like it's, it's sort of. I think maybe hitting a bit too close to home, maybe that people don't really focus on it much. And then you also have the much more relevant and much more hip trope of the hikimori, which kind of plays into everything and then a bit more. Um, Yeah, um, like the the, the first anime I saw, which really was dealt with the hikimori uh, trope, was uh, Welcome to the NHK. Which was, I think, about the, I think it was earlier than Watamate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, much earlier. Watamate NHK is like early nineties. Oh no, no, it's like the the anime. The anime is two thousand six, so the same. Yeah. It's oh, contemporary okay. with uh, the Wallflower. Uh, the manga ran from two thousand and three to two thousand seven, based on a two thousand two yeah. novel. And I think that is an, an interesting observation. That like what's like the the strange loner uh, witch girl is is like. That you can probably say that's something which you can find in Western media in 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 like school things like whether you have the the the, the kid who who knows weird things which no one else does and like that's probably been a trope which has been around for a long time but um, neats and hikamoris are a thing which are in the West it's something which has really only existed for maybe ten years as a conscious thing we have understood and but obviously japan has had that phenomenon as a registered cultural thing for a while longer yeah i mean like welcome to the nhk i found kind of disappointment given how much cachet it had when i watched it at, at the end of the 2000s but it is about someone who has who is a hikikomori and has gotten into weird occult stuff because he's convinced that the reason that he's a hikikomori is like because of a supernatural but also government conspiracy to make him a washed up loser who can't leave the house or find work so it is it's kind of actually a hard it's on the level of hard watches as watamote although i think watamote is both harder and more effective because of it because of its various choices though Mm. Um, but yeah, so I don't know because also like um, Tomiko's great at video games, which again is a very strong hikimori like trope. Um, I guess you could also look at stuff like in Dead Ed, uh Demons Death Death Destruction, whatever the fuck it's called. Like, yeah, there's a couple of characters in that where I'm like, okay, she could be considered gloomy, but she's not. She's actually just like 
she is a very much a hikimori like gamer girl but she's not negative she's very much positive yeah. but very much i mean you can trophy. you can find bits of the, the the bits of the trope in different things like you could say there's elements of it in high score girl to an extent yeah um, i was thinking that but then you have the joel summer that is very much overplayed as opposed to the negative because she is negative interaction with everyone who's like everyone who's not a female is <laughs> and even then like very negative and her whole upbringing is incredibly harsh and uh curated to be a pretty fucking miserable existence yeah um, i i think it's just ultimately a, a trope that doesn't exist on its own in the wild anymore unless it is mm-hmm. part of something bigger like the hikikomori because i was going to surprise bring up um any number of the girls from Sinar Zetsubo Sensei who all have like kind of like <laughs> weird elements. Specifically, my favorite episodes of Sinar Zetsubo Sensei, possibly my favorite episode um, of comedy anime ever, where uh, the one girl, uh, Hitonami, who is the normal girl, her name literally means like just what you'd expect or something. Um, but uh, she decides to stay home because she wants to be like considered weird. So she like tries to skip school, um, but then no one notices that she's gone. So she comes to school to complain that no one noticed. Um, and <laughs> the uh, the Hikikomori name there, whose name is uh, Kiri Komori, um, which if you re- if you I think read it vertically, it it reads as it reads as Hikikomori, which is the joke that Sanazetsu Sensei does with all of its characters, as they all rearrange into into puns or descriptions of their characters uh but she's like oh yeah staying home's easy what's hard staying at school and so she and she's like oh it's easy i'll just stay at school and then she like gets really freaked out having to stay at school after dark where she like sees like the light the light fixtures turn to like decapitated baby bottoms and then (laughs) kafuka fura sings a lyric version of trauma ray over the over the loudspeakers that about like you know digging holes and like people wearing the skin of a cat and yeah it's oh <laughs> it's so good and so she like ends up like having to go home she can't even stay she can't even stay at school but like i think that's just more that sometimes it's since it has like a weird depressed aura rather than any of the characters are specifically like creepy i mean they're all creepy the girl who like is always hurt um which is voiced by the inimitable yuko goto uh and yeah i don't know it's it's funny how you how yeah you don't see this trope in the wild anymore and if, if you do it's either subverted where she's actually beautiful deep down or it's this bizarre painful character study like in the case of watamote hmm. or, or just a, a weird side character yeah just right? a, just think... a super small side character yeah mm-hmm. and you don't think about it um yeah, like there's a an example on Wasteful Days of High School Girls. He's literally named Majo because they all have <laughs> like dumb nicknames. Uh-huh. And, you know, she's like, oh, she's a creep. She's a weirdo. And but she has like a twin sister who's like extremely popular. They look exactly the same. <laughs> and she's almost like instantaneously like accepted into the fold because people are like, it's like, hey, you three weirdos be her friend. And then they just become friends. And that's that's, you know, that's kind of the joke where she's like she's trying her best to be a weird, creepy person but can't help but just fit in so it's like you know again that show is good and screw you guys <laughs> <laughs> no I, I mean i think this is sort of what we're all getting at is it's like watamote being the uh, exception to prove the rule like you can't have these characters without the 
expectations or their main defining characteristic being perverted in some way, which in many ways highlights why it's a particularly weak character trope to to subdue or to impose on a person or mm-hmm. a character that you're writing. And that isn't a hikimori, which is also like something that we is very, very yeah. close a hikikomori um, or like a like a super like deranged rabbit fujoshi i feel like are the two or yeah, or like an occult yeah, so. wizard so oh i was just gonna say do you think the 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 eponymous mysterious girlfriend from mysterious girlfriend x follows yeah, into this i mean i considered that but i Duncan's think gonna say no <laughs> i don't think not really she's not like gloomy she's she's like the weirdest thing about mysterious mm. girlfriend x is that she just fucking knew that this would happen uh she carries like, scissors in her panties and cuts up any pictures of herself uh she, she falls asleep instantaneously yeah. all the time she laughs for no reason at class so that obviously begs the question that is is senjo kohara um <laughs> that that was going to be my original joke entry into this because everything is monogatari and monogatari is everything um but nariko sengoku is like <laughs> literally every point in the in the description on tv tropes and again like you know when you know she's introduced she's just kind of a side character you know her initial arc you know she's completely overshadowed by every other character in it and is you know regularly cited as the worst character on the show but when she you know once you get into her head you know the whole thing becomes about you know okay she's a genuinely disturbed person and you know the it then becomes her redemption story. It's not just like, it's not, it's not possible to really show it as a stable character trait as written. It either has to yeah. be a one note joke or it has to be the jumping off point of either like, you know, a descent into madness, like in some kind of like Jinji Ito manga, or it has to be a redemption story of some well, kind. It's interesting, especially with um, Nadako Sengoku, because we think that she's normal and then it's a reveal throughout the show that she actually is kind of a like a friendless shut-in weirdo so it's kind of the, mm-hmm. re- the reverse development that you usually get with like weird friendless creepy girls in anime yeah 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 sure you know she just she's so effortlessly cute and adorable that everybody just overlooks the fact that she's a creepy weirdo and eventually has to, you know, make peace with that. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I think I think we'll need to make peace with our discussion of this trope then, because I <laughs> I can't think of anything else that I'm coming up with. There's a couple of examples of just like, oh, that girl has like dull eyes and black hair and it's kind of weird. But I think that there's a, a more specific archetype that we've covered all the big yeah. ones about. I mm. agree. Like I, I think of a lot of girls from like Idol Master Cinderella girls who are like uh fumika is like you said dark hair she's very quiet she reads books a lot but she's not negative she's not like a loner she wants to be alone but it doesn't mean she is a loner yeah and then same with like anzu again another character called anzu in idol master but she's just fucking lazy and she's a gamer she doesn't like she just doesn't want to do anything yeah why she's becoming an idol so that she can earn loads of money (laughs) and then fucking never but work a day in her life uh (laughs) She's a role model that everybody should aspire to, clearly. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if, like, like 
shy, withdrawn girls that kind of dress like in darker clothing, which is like Kuroneko from Oreimo or mm-hmm. Literature Girl from Daily Lives of High School Boys. Like I don't like I don't even though the latter is on the TV trips yeah. page. I don't think of her as like yeah. a cre- she's not no she's not creepy not and weird insofar it's it's an absurd show about people with exaggerated personalities. Like she's not any creepier and weirder than literally any other character in Daily Lives of High School Boys. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, nor do I. Well, do we um, have any uh email? No, I don't know emails. I'll let you know okay. if we do. Yeah, uh, yeah, let oh. me know. And and all of y'all listening, write us an email about literally anything anime related. Um, I would also say if you if you want to suggest if you want to suggest a theme for us to talk about, oh yes, absolutely. Please go ahead, uh, email in. Um, even if it's just sort of like, I like this show, and you guys sort of talk about it on the, like you mention it a lot, then we'll do something about yeah. that. You never know. I mean, for instance, um, if you want to hear us talk about Monogatari series, which I know that we've barely covered, uh, just please let <laughs> us know. What? Monogatari series, series, yeah. No, no, never heard of it. Yeah, well, you, what's yeah. it about? Is it good? It's it's a really niche show. Um, it's mm. about a guy who ruins the lives of every woman he comes across. <laughs> oh yeah, should absolutely recommend it. Un, you know, sight unseen to anybody you want to introduce to anime. Right. <laughs> Don't do that. Well. Uh, <laughs> In addition to all our other social media outreach, rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can't see that I'm making a confused <laughs> slash disdainful face. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook, just search for Keyframes Podcasts. Email us literally anything, keyframespodcasts at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend. Oh, the bit's over. The bit's over for good. Oh, cool. fuck! <laughs> Yay! Say Especially goodbye, tell everybody. tell Andy, who Wait, isn't you, paying attention you... to at the end of the show. <laughs> no, you, you, you missed it, Andy. Say right. goodbye. Gotta say goodbye. Bye! Bye! Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>